Welcome, Rink Rats, to this Blackhawks Hockey Ringcast episode 22, exclusively sponsored by the premium hockey outfitters at puckhockey.com. That's P U C K H C K Y.com. Use the promo code The Rink to get 10% off of all your orders. And if you get anything over $100, you get a free gift and free shipping and all that other good stuff. Today is Monday, May 14th, 2018. Happy belated Mother's Day to all of you wonderful mothers out there listening in the audience. I am Jeff Osborne, better known across the interwebs as Gatekeeper. What's up, jerks? And I am joined by my good friend, co-host, and fellow grumpy old guy, Mr. John Jekyll. Hello, sir. Hiya. Hiya. And we are Hi. also joined by the Dash Rink staff member. Some of you might remember his name from writing an article maybe a couple months ago. Jake Martin. Hello, sir. Just here because John's supposed to be shirtless. <laughs> Not supposed to be, baby. Is. <laughs> is, baby, is. Woo, we're ready to go. So why don't you choke on that, you big slap nut? Uh-huh. And we also may be uh, joined by Tyler Majewski. He was having some connection problems getting in, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, other than What's that, um, Jake, John, and I are, together are your most trusted sources at your favorite online hockey hangout, thedashrink.com. Seriously, these potato heads have to be the unsexiest mob of all time. All right. Mm-hmm. So all formalities aside, guys. Um, here we are, the middle of the playoffs, the third round, the conference, uh, what is it, the conference uh, finals. Uh, you got Vegas playing tonight against the Jets, and uh, you've got the Caps are stomping the Capitals. I mean, the Caps are stomping the uh, Lightning, sorry. Tripping all over myself here. And uh, the Blackhawks have been done for a while. We've got the Ice Hogs that are kicking ass in the playoffs and just taking names later. What do you think, John? Uh, I'm thinking I'm really enjoying this. I'm enjoying the hockey that's being played. I, I, I like all things about all of these teams. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's been really fun. Actually, you know, it's I, it's hard as a Hawks fan to, to get into playoff hockey when they're not in it. Last couple of years after the Hawks were, um, I guess it would be charitable to say eliminated. It was more like humiliated. Um but uh, it was just, you know, I, I didn't really care about the playoffs the rest of the way. Um, this year, it's fun. I'm enjoying watching these games. Yeah. And now our fans have not been uh, privy to our boy Jake Martin. What do you, how, what's going on with you, Jake? What, do you, what are you feeling about these uh, playoffs and the Blackhawks and such? Yeah, man. Uh, like John, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I think uh, we were talking uh, before we went on live. I don't really care who wins, not because I'm apathetic or I'm not watching it, just because uh, I think uh, all four of these teams, they play a clean game. They got a lot of likable players, some former Hawks on uh, a couple different teams. And, uh, yeah, like I'm just watching it and kind of enjoying it. It's almost a little bit refreshing not to have a dog in the fight, you know? Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I, I, I've been saying it, and I'm sure people follow me on Twitter know, know damn well. Um, but I like all the teams that are still in it. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm kind of pulling for the Cavs because I want to see Ovi win a cup. I'm tired of hearing that he's not a leader. He hasn't accomplished anything. Uh, you know, he's one of the greatest pure goal scorers the NHL's ever seen. And I think he deserves at least one cup. So I, I, I would like to see him get that cup. Um, the Lightning, I'd like to see them win too. They've got a good team. 
Vegas would be a great story because it's never happened and may never happen again. Uh, in Winnipeg, I mean, they got some friendly faces there, but their fan base kind of deserves it uh, well more than the goddamn Preds do. Mm. And uh, so I, it is enjoyable for sure. I don't really care. So, uh, you know, who wins? Uh, I'll be happy with any of them, to be honest with you. I never thought it was possible to hate literally everything about a hockey team, but the National Predators have proved to me that's possible. It's <laughs> It's like a new hatred, too. You know, I feel like when they never gave us any trouble, and maybe that's just because we were on our Hawks uh, cloud nine, I never hated the Predators. I never hated their fans. But then I realized that they hate us way more than we dislike them. So now it's kind of mutual for me. Yeah, I mean, there was there were things about them that were always hateable. I mean, the the color of the uniforms, the, the get the red out campaign, which was I mean, that was pathetic. Yeah. Um, the playing country music after they score goals. I mean, those were all things that were just, but the whole thing that's grown out of them making the Stanley Cup finals last year, their horrible goalie who that, who they have to pay $7 million a year. And then uh, Ryan Hartman. I mean, just <laughs> all nine yards, man. <laughs> um, yeah, well. Uh, we'll get some responses to that, I'm sure. Yeah, well, I don't care at this point. Um, it really Nashville. Never did. Nashville is St. Louis East. Uh, That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I mean they've they've earned nothing. I mean, sure they got to the final, but you haven't won. So, you know, second place is the first loser. You know, so uh, it, when you win a cup, then you can then you can say you've earned some kind of credibility or something. Sure, yeah, you got you got fans that go nuts. To throw to throw dead fish on the ice, big deal. You beat up, uh, you know, you Mars. you beat up the wrong kind of uh, vehicles outside your uh, your stadium. You you beat you beat up a plane, not a jet. So I don't know what that was accomplishing. You beat up cars that have things painted on them. Okay, I mean, if you're a you're a great bachelor slash bachelor party location, but uh, hockey yeah. Room. I mean, I like the city. I do. I don't like the fans. And, uh, you know, actually, the, the 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 team itself, I like a lot of parts of it, like Victor Arvidsson, and I like Forsberg, and I, I even like I like P.K. Subban. Uh, I like Roman Yossi. Uh, I like a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff that is on their team, but their fans base makes them insufferable. Yeah, you know, I was a big PK fan because <clears throat> once, uh, once a blue moon ago, I used to like the Hedge a little bit. But after seeing his father Carl on NHL Network every forty-five seconds for the last month and a half, I, I kind of just sick of him. Yeah. <laughs> At least they had some cool old lineman shotgun and beers, though. <laughs> Tyler Majewski, everybody. First line of the podcast: shotgun and beers. I love it. Shotgun and beers. Welcome, sir. We didn't, we didn't give you a proper intro, but I, I think that that'll just about do it. Yeah. I don't know what I was doing, but I figured it out, I guess. So, okay. No worries. Don't hire me. Don't hire me as an IT guy anytime soon. So. <laughs> That's what I'm here for guys. All right. Well, we'll just keep, keep, keep on rolling. Cause this is just kind of the intro part. But, um, so we, we talked a little bit about the playoffs and I think uh, it was, either, I think it was John or John or Jake mentioned that a couple of play, familiar faces are still playing in the playoffs and, the first one, of course, is I guess we could start off with Michael Kempney because that's uh, John. You retweeted that article uh, 
that was out a couple days about how there was the trade that saves the cap season. Yeah, I thought that was a little over the top, but <laughs> I do think that um, you know the gist of the article about how Kempney has you know really gotten in a groove with the caps and he's you know playing big minutes and he's really he's really helping them. I, I think it, it's it's kind of important for Hawk fans and for the Hawk organization, hopefully, to kind of take a look at that and ask, you know, okay, so what happened here? Because it's a little bit like the Trevor Daly situation a couple of years ago, but it's it, in what to my mind it's more extreme. Um, you know, uh, Daly kind of was a known commodity when he came in. I think they kind of knew his strengths and his weaknesses. You know, Kempney. I, don't, I was one of those people. Gate, you were one of them as well. Bob Rose was was also in this camp. We we looked at him. And we said, "This is a guy who has all kinds of athletic ability, and he shows flashes uh, of really being a, a pretty darn good defenseman in the league based upon that ability." But the Hawks, you know, Quinville just you know kept jerking him in and out of the lineup, and you know he'd make one mistake and he'd staple him to the bench, and um, he just never kind of got in a groove in Chicago. And then they, tr- they traded him for a third round pick. Um, you know, and what's, what's a second pairing worth in the NHL these days, it's worth a heck of a lot more than a third round pick. Well, and, uh, you know, again, sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some the Hawks lost that deal. Well, yeah, uh, and they lost the daily deal. And, um, I, you know, I've been, I, I, I've been a proponent all along that Joe Quenville is hard and, he, he somehow somewhere in his brain, no one really knows what it is. There's something that Joel Quenville will pick out in a player that will, he'll be, that will just become his pet player and he'll play him no matter what, like, uh, you know, Jordan Osterley or Eric Gustafson or whatever, but, or Jan Ruda. But then you get Michael Kempney who goes in there, screws up, you know, plays a game, screws up a shift. And then he sits the rest of the game. Jordan Osterley goes out there and does the same thing. Or he's down, you know, he's like a Labrador running around chasing the puck around the ice. But, uh, you know, he makes one nice pass. He's all right. Uh, And it's unfair. Back in March, we started to have this conversation about how. So, like, almost none of the big-time Bowman acquisitions have panned out, at least not the way that we thought they would. But we started to have a discussion. I remember John and I, I think Tyler chimed in on this too, where it's like, he'll make these trades and, and collectively us like the hockey community, people who know what they're talking about. We like the trade. We like the players that are coming. We think it's going to work out. And for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. And at what point do you start to question, is it Bowman's ability to acquire players or is there something with this team dynamic that doesn't allow the acquisitions to thrive, whether that's a draft pick or whether that's a trade. And I think Kempney is a good example of that. I think that, uh, the Kempney failure is definitely on Quinville. I'm definitely more team Quinville than Bowman if I had to pick. But it's clear that, like you guys are saying, he's favored other guys. I mean, Gustafson couldn't even make the, the team for two years. And then they give him a new contract because he won't play Kempney. He only plays Gustafson. But what does Kempney have that most of our team needs? Size and speed. Well, we don't have any of that. You traded away for a third-round pick. Now, granted, he's playing with John Carlson with the uh, Capitals, but still, like you said, he's playing big minutes and quality minutes. I mean, you could see that he was a guy that had the potential. I mean, John had been talking about it for years. Kempney's the kind of guy that you can play in the top four that can be a playoff guy, and we need more playoff guys. And then they just get rid of it. And like you said, we keep a Jordan Osterley, who is not better than Michael Kempney. But, you know, that's what we're stuck with. So I – 
it's been hard to watch him play. That's for sure. I, yeah, I agree with both of you. I'm, I think the, the the blame overall lies somewhere between Quenville and, and Bowman. I think they're both kind of at fault on a lot of things. Some in some instances, you know, it's more Quenville than Bowman, and in other instances, it's more Bowman than Quenville. Uh, so it shifts back and forth. But like in things like this, like if if but if Quenville was not going to play Kempney, and he probably wasn't going to come back anyway, like why not trade him for a draft pick? You know, so in that in that respect, I get why you why you unload the guy because Quinville's just not going to play him anyway. You're just jerking him around. You're he's eating up you know years of his uh you know the prime of his career. I'm sure the agents chirping at uh, Bowman about hey you know my guy's not playing here. You know he's 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 losing opportunities to make money down the road. Can you just unload him already? So um yeah, that's kind of where I stand on that whole thing. But I mean, you got Jan Ruda who played what? 40 games, 50 games, you give him $2.25 million. But even Jan Ruda was getting kind of jerked around somewhat during the season. There was stretches where he was sitting for like 14 days and not playing because Eric Gustafson was playing or Jordan Osterley was playing or whatever. It just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I I think Kepney has a lot of talent. He's got a lot of raw skill. I think he's more physical than you have Gustafson or than you have Osterley or, you know, name whatever numbers five, six defensemen they have out there. Forsling, any of those guys. I think he, yeah, I think Kempney's a more at, physical guy and they need physical guys out there. You look at, at Kempney, I'm, I'm looking at his stats right now. I have him in front of me. Last year, he played 31 games and I mean, he, he was a positive 13, which I know isn't, isn't the best indicator of the, what type of defenseman he is, but I mean, if you look, his numbers statistically pretty similar between what he was doing when he got the chance to play with the Hawks and what he's doing right now in Washington. Well, yeah, I mean, and and, and he does make mistakes with Washington. I mean, you see him; he, he makes turnovers or he does this or do, but what defenseman doesn't? No, yeah, right. I mean, they all do, and uh, I mean Duncan Keith when he was winning. Um, Norris trophies. I mean, he he would make mistakes sometimes. It happens. It's a tough position to play. Yeah, and, and Gustafson and uh, you know Osterley and all the, whatever. Like I said, what other random five six defensemen that you have out there makes makes mistakes just as well. Sometimes yeah. even worse. Yes. But they but then they don't sit the rest of the game. But Michael Kempney for some reason Joel Quenville didn't like him. So all of a sudden, you know, he makes one mistake and he's looking over his shoulder and, and who could play with that kind of pressure? Like the coach, every time you make one mistake, you're going to sit and then you're probably going to be scratched for the next three games. Right. And it's you the know, same, that was, that was the same that I was saying with like, and I don't want to segue into, into goalies, but the same that I was saying with Forsberg, like if Forsberg isn't given like, okay, just go out there. And if you fail, you fail, but we're going to work you through this. Instead, yeah. it was like, no, Jeff Glass comes in one game later, and all of a sudden it's a Jeff Glass experience, and then he's looking over his shoulder. Every goal he gives up, and, and you, when you have that in your back of your mind, you have to be able yeah. to play off of instinct, and when you have that in the back of your mind that, you know, if I screw this up, they're going to pull me. Well, then yeah. you're already in the hole. Yeah, I mean, the, it, Forsberg is a great comparable, and actually I thought of that too regarding Kempney. It's this short leash thing that Q does with certain guys it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, it, it, you know, the guy, the guy gets so gun shy that he starts screwing up more. And uh, that just sort of justifies, you know, what Q's done to him. But at the end of the day, I mean, 
you know, speaking of speaking of Forsberg, I mean, his numbers were far better than any of the other guys that they that Q was pulling him for. And, you know, Kempney has, has gone over to Washington and shown, I, I got to be honest with you, I was a big Kempney fan, but I didn't think he was going to do this well this quickly. I thought it would take a little while. As Gate, as you know, I know a guy who, who works on the Washington staff, and mm-hmm. I actually was going to talk to him about it. I thought, no, nah, I'm not going to. But just because, you know, I, I, I wasn't sure how they were viewing him. And, you know, the bottom line is, is that he's, you know, he's, he's really picked it up quickly. Um, and he's he's obviously fulfilled everything they saw when they traded for him. And I'm sure they're pinching themselves because this is a guy who has made a contribution to the longest playoff run they've had I, in years, if ever. Yeah. Yeah. They, they look confident now. They look like a different team. And now they've gone in and, and done what I don't think a lot of people thought they were going to go in and in, into Tampa and win in convincing manner like they have. So... Uh, you know, yeah. if you're if you're Q, you take a page out of Mike Babcock's book. Look, look what he's done with some of those young defensemen by just getting him the reps. You know, on a leash, of course, like you said, Jeff. But early in the regular season, man, just give them the reps. Allow them to make those mistakes. Yes. You know, with a, a Morgan Riley or you know even a Ron Hainsey, it, it's it's a miracle that you can perform if you just let them work the kinks out in a stress-free environment. And and at the level that people are at in the NHL. You can't be second guessing your what you're doing. Like you can either do it or you can't do it. Right. And and, and if you're second guessing, oh well, you know maybe I shouldn't make this pass because Q doesn't want me to make this pass, or you know maybe I'm going to screw it up and, and then Q's going to pull me off, and then you know like that goes on in people's heads. Like especially and when I you're think- coming from a foreign country, you you sometimes have a hard time speaking the language. You know th- he was making a lot of adjustments on top of all this stuff. Like let the guy work. You know. Let the guy work into the lineup, man. Give him 40 games. If after 40 games he can't do it, you know, then okay, maybe. But after 10 games you're scratching him or whatever, it's just I don't get it. I don't agree with it, and uh, I think it's a bunch of crap. And You know, not to, ch- to change the subject because it kind of builds off this topic, but watching these playoffs and watching, you know, especially how Washington just exerted their will on a very good Columbus team. Uh, I got to see one of those games in person and seeing how Winnipeg has done that with all the teams they've played so far. Um, you know, it really, it's interesting. My point of view on the Blackhawks has gotten a lot darker and more sour through watching these playoffs, even though the Hawks haven't played, because I feel like, you know, even if the Hawks tweaked a few things and got back into the playoffs this year, um, th- their roster is just so soft and so slow now that I, it's hard to imagine them going anywhere in the playoffs against teams like these. Well, as, I, comp- as currently composed. Yeah, and, and I said that uh, in a tweet a little while back, but I, when I was watching the, the Pittsburgh and uh, Washington series and watching some of these teams just beat the hell out of each other with big hits, open ice, all this stuff, whether it was clean or not, I, I'm not going to debate, but just these teams were going at each other hard, hitting each other. There's no one on the Hawks throwing hits like that. Maybe maybe Martinson, who's uh you know, yeah. But I mean, he's yeah. like in the playoffs. You know, if he plays six minutes a night, right. he's lucky. That's exactly you it. Know? But he's really I mean, the only guy on Jalmerson that team. Was a guy who could throw those hits. Kempney was a guy who yeah. could throw those hits. Um, Seabrook can line somebody up every once in a while. You know, but and it's not just it, it's not just you know running around and hitting guys and getting out of position. 
Um, although there is a time and a place for that. Um, but it's also just going in the corners and, and winning pucks and going mono on mono with guys from the opposing team. Um, you know, the Hawks, the Hawks really are lacking in, in the, on the physical side of winning hockey games. And I'm not talking about just taking guys heads off. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it's it, the, the launch bucket stuff around the net in the corners, um, along the wall, that you know they've really through the, uh, the a lot of the roster changes that they've made they have not really improved the team in that regard they've probably hurt it in that regard well yeah i mean just like open making guys pay for you know waiting that extra second to make a pass like that's not dirty that's just clean tough hockey yeah right like, and who's going to do yeah. that who's going to do that on the hawks forecheck is alex debrinket going to do that no is who Anthony Duclair, uh, Thomas Yurko, uh, who, who's going to do that? No one's going to do that. To and, hear to hear the three of us talking like this is interesting because you know typically the more hits line is like something that you usually get from a couple of meatballs, but it still is a huge part of the game, especially when uh, in the springtime. And yeah. you know, it's kind of crazy that I'm sitting here saying Hawks aren't physical enough. I sound like my dad, like it's. Back at De La Salle in 1981, but seriously, it, it's true. <laughs> yeah, but there's there's there is that, that later. We, there is that thin line of, you know, physical hockey and just playing all meatball, fighting, punching people, you know, dirty, you know, and, and you know, there's always going to be kind of hit contact and hits in the game. You got guys flying 30 miles an hour on two razor blades. Like, there's always going to be some kind of physical hitting in hockey and. Um, well, sometimes that intimidates other teams and sometimes the defenseman will think twice or take that extra second and give up the puck. If you, you know, give them a good bump after the jets, you know, even the jet skill guys are guys that could go in the corner, win pucks, um, who are pretty fearless. Um, you look at a guy like Tom Wilson on, uh, on Washington and he's not the only one. I mean, they, they got a lot of guys who are really competitive and really big. And, you know, it's a style of hockey that, that makes a difference in the playoffs, big boy hockey. And it's, again, it's not, it's not running around, getting out of position, trying to take guys heads off, you know, the meatball crap, but it, it is a style of hockey that wins in the playoffs. And when the, you know, people forget this. I mean, when the Hawks, you know, won their first cup and even, you know, through 13 and 15, you know, everybody, everybody would talk about the transition game and finesse hockey and, and all that, but you know the reality of it is, is that all three of those teams had a very, very strong physical component, especially the 2010 team. I mean, they had some guys who would just mash you. Um, up at, pardon me. Ben Eager. Ben Eager, Andrew Ladd, Troy Brower, Dustin Bufflin. Hey. Yeah, Burrish. I mean, they had a lot of guys who would come after you, and and they wore they wore teams down. Well, that. Um, and, I was going to say, that's an excellent segue to our second player, which is Dustin Bufflin. Ah. I mean, I mean, we all understand what happened and why it had to happen, but, um, right. You know, I, I was fine with saying bye and I understand it. And, but it does suck that they had to let him go because they need a top four defenseman that's physical and he is a top four defenseman that's physical, but just the way, uh, the seller cap, you know, worked and everything like that it just they weren't able to keep him but it yeah, watching it. watching how intimidating he is in the playoffs i mean he is just physically he intimidating people with his presence out there and it's pretty interesting to see 
He's a big game player, you know, going back to the playoff runs with the Hawks in 2009, 2010. I mean, he was a guy who during the regular season, a lot of people have brought this up. He kind of was was spotty and, and you know, wasn't wasn't always he was sort of underwhelming at times. But then he was, but in the playoffs, he would elevate his game and become such a factor. And again, it's because the style of play in the playoffs, you know, really, really played to his strengths. And, you know, the, the tweet I made the other day about the fact that they didn't get anything back for him in that trade, they, they kind of really didn't. And, I you know, I keep hearing Kevin Hayes. Well, Kevin Hayes is playing in New York. You know, he never played for the Hawks. So, no, they never got they didn't get anything back for Dustin Buffalo. So that's one thing. Um, and a guy who at that time, I believe was about, gosh, I want to say he was about 24, 25 years old, uh, coming off a of Stanley cup where it was arguable. He could have won the con Smythe, um, you know, with, with, you know, could play forward, could play defense. Um, you know, they should, I, in my opinion, they should have gotten a lot more for him. I understand that they kind of were over a barrel in terms of, of teams knowing that they had to, to, to dump salary, but you know, it was Bowman who said, that um, uh, Jalmerson and the Emmy weren't going anywhere. I mean, he overplayed his hand, and I, I think he kind of got t- taken advantage of. But the other thing is, you look back now, you know, Brent Seabrook and, and, and Buffalo were drafted the same year. And at the time, no, nobody would have said, you know, tr- get rid of Seabrook and keep Buffalo. I get that. But it's just kind of ironic looking back now today. Who would you rather have? I'd rather have Dustin Buffalo today. Yeah, well, Buffalo didn't doesn't necessarily have as many hard miles on him as Seabrook does at this point, but I yeah, get I it. I understand. Yeah, no, I I totally understand. Um, well, I, Buffalo's just an example of another trade that you know all of us as Hawks fans had finally gotten our Stanley Cup, so we kind of just understood. Well, they got to get rid of guys, so who who cares what the trade is? But you look back at Bowman's tr- trade record since that 2010 season and the Patrick Sharp trade, and you know things like that, and you look at that and you're like, wow, he really didn't do a good job. Like even though everyone knew that he had to trade Dustin Bufflin, he still should have got more because, like you said, he was so valuable. So I think it's more like you know, you won three Stanley cups. So it's not like he totally screwed us, but there are certain areas where he definitely made mistakes. And I think people, you know, I was talking to my dad and he said, Oh, you know, I just, I'm, I'm still in like Stanley cup heaven. Like, you know, they won three cups. Like, you know, so I think a lot of fans are in that boat, but they definitely mismanaged some of those things. Well, that's definitely why the torches haven't completely come out yet. Because, yeah, okay, you can always say, hey, you know, three three cups in, in, in the years that they got it. How many teams are going to actually get to do that? You know, how many teams in Chicago ever are going to be able to do that? So, you know, you kind of have that. But th- that doesn't necessarily mean you have to sit on that. And, you know, you could still want more. And that's kind of where I'm at. I still would like to see more. I mean, I, I understand if it's yeah. going to end and they're going to have to do a complete rebuild at some point or whatever. But... You still got Taves, you still got King, you still got Keith, you still got Crawford, we think. And, uh, you know, if you can get in one more run, then get it, you know? I, I My personal feeling is with this group, they don't have another, they don't have another run in them, in my opinion. Um, I think they should be looking at trying to get um, significant return for some of these guys while they still have some market value right now. And, you know, if they have to, to really take a step back for a couple of years, 
but they got to go out and get those really high level elite players like like the Jets did for for a number of years. And the, you know the thing is the Jets went out and they picked these guys like Morrissey and Ehlers and Line A. They didn't miss. I mean they hit on a lot of these guys. Truba. Um, and I, I feel like that's what the Hawks have to do to get back to being a Stanley Cup contender. And quite honestly, I would much rather suck for three or four years and be back in the cup picture after that time than to be a mediocre team like Detroit's been for the last, what, eight or nine years. I would, I would really much rather do that. Absolutely. I agree. I think the most that they can do with some of the bad signings like Ruda and Gustafson is bring in a couple decent NHL guys that maybe get them back in the playoffs, but what are you doing? You're just, you're just staying average. You're not going one way or another. Right. I, I, I totally agree. I think they're the only way that they get back into Stanley cup contention is a complete teardown. I don't know that they'll ever trade Taves and Kane, but I, I think from them to Keith to everybody, they should trade, but I don't think they will. I think the next couple of years they'll, buy some time with some little signings here or there and, you know, be a, be a wild card team and lose in the first round. And like, I have no interest in that as a fan. Like we've won three Stanley cups. We've had our time. That's fine. Let's rebuild. Let's do it again. Like I'm not satisfied with that. So. Totally agree. Well, speaking of the teardown, <laughs> another excellent segue, sir. Um, today you, uh, you I kind of addressed on Twitter and it was brought up in the questions, uh, a rumor from an unsaid website <laughs> that uh, yeah. that the Blackhawk or that, that that a certain team, uh, the Montreal Canadiens, were looking at trying to acquire Jonathan Taves, which um, we all kind I think we kind of laughed at a little bit, but um, you kind of addressed that as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, my feeling is is that this is a really deep draft. There and and when I say deep, it's almost that's almost inaccurate. I mean, it's it's a high quality draft. They're at the top of the draft. Um, there are a lot of really good players, like, you know, one through 15, there's, there's like great players. Um, and then, you know, going well into the second round, I was talking to Wiz about it, who really knows what he's talking about. You know, he says there's a lot of good players going deep into the second round as well. And, you know, if, if there is a draft where you want to accumulate some picks and really retool for the future, it's now it's this year. Um, because next year I, I understand there's a really good kid at the top of the draft. I don't know what the rest of the draft is. And, and, but from year to year, they can vary wildly. I mean, you can have a, a fantastic draft one year and then a pretty weak one for, for two or three years. So, um, I, you know, and for a team like the Hawks who are kind of, you know, on that precipice between what they once were and a very uncertain future, um, there's an argument for, you know, selling off some of these big name guys who still have some value. And, you know, you, you know, yes, who knows if, if the, um, if the Canadians are actually exploring uh, trading for Taves, but quite honestly, you know, Taves reputation around the league, especially among scouts is still pretty good. And quite, there's probably 20, 25 teams who would quote unquote explore dealing for Taves. So that in and of itself means very little. It takes a lot to get a deal like that done. Um, conversely, the rumor about Crawford, um, you know, going to the Islanders, you know, at first I kind of looked at it the same way. You know, there's probably a lot of teams who would have some interest in Crawford. It doesn't mean they're going to get a deal done. But then I, you know, realized that Lou Lamariello is rumored to be going to the Islanders. And Lamariello, I know for a fact, has, has wanted to acquire Crawford several times in the past. 
when he was in New Jersey, especially, he was working on deals for him. And, uh, you know, that actually could make some sense. Plus, the Islanders have two first-round picks, 11th and 12th overall. So I, I could definitely see. But, again, if the Hawks deal Crawford or if they deal Taves, that is, that's making a statement to the fan base. Hey, guys, we are definitely doing a total rebuild here. And I don't know, to, to Ty's point, I believe it was earlier, um, I don't know if the Hawks as an organization have the courage to do that. But gosh, I, you know, as a fan, I, I would, I would, I would applaud. I'd, be, and I know they're gonna, they would suck next year. They'd win 25 games. But bottom line, you're, you're taking a shot at being a really great organization again in a few years. Well, you know, I don't know. If no, go ahead. The Crawford move, I think the Crawford move would, would scare me a little bit more than the Taze move, only because he's so proven and it's such a difficult position to find a long-term, you know, franchise replacement. And as far as 19 goes, I just I don't think he's an accident like you'll like you'll read on Twitter. But he's not earning his money the way Crawford is. He's just he's just not. He's being drastically overpaid. Yeah. And especially when when the weather starts to warm up and you need him to really earn his cash, he he falls even further behind in the pack. But with with Crawford, it, like we had this conversation. We can speculate all we want, but what is even going on with him? We don't we don't know if we're even going to see him next year, let alone you know yeah. count him being between the pipes or or otherwise. Yep, we don't. And uh, you know, I, I, to to climb on the back of John Jekyll here, <laughs> Clam Award. Yeah. So we're just done with phrasing, right? That's not a thing anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, you were saying you didn't know if they could, you know, if they if they would do it and, and all that stuff. I don't think with jobs on the line, like Bowman's is on the line and possibly Quenville's yeah. is on the line, I don't see them doing that. But on the other hand, Toronto has shown that a team that has a city, it's in a city with a crazy fan base, that if you're honest with them and say, this is going to hurt a little bit, yeah, just hang in there with us because at the end, there's light at the end of the tunnel that that fan base can 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 you know rally behind you and buy into something like that so you know it can happen but based on the way the circumstances are here with kind of Bowman being on there well you better show me you can do something otherwise you're out the door i can't see Bowman being like oh we're going to do total rebuild here the the two things just don't they don't equate so i agree with that i don't i don't think they will do it but I think I said this on the other podcast I was on. What better time in Chicago sports would it be to rebuild and convince your fans that it's the right thing to do? Look at the White Sox, the Cubs, the Bulls. In in the Cubs, won a freaking World Series for the first time in 108 years. Like, what better time to say, hey, guys, listen, we need to rebuild. We're going to do this thing through the draft. Fans would be like, well, that works. Let's do it. You know what I mean? Like, And the Blackhawks brand is – is trusted now. I, I think yep. there's, you know, they're not going to be the Cubs or the Bears, but I, I think they've solidified themselves. So as long as they keep their ticket fresh and they keep doing things in the community and keep a, I mean, you could keep Patrick Kane. He's still going to win games and he's still going to be good for a while, I think. But, you know, I, what better time? I, I just, I, that's why I don't understand why they're trying to do this like half ass rebuild on the fly. And then it's given me Nick Schmaltz and, and Alex to who are nice players, but aren't playoff players, which is what you need. So uh, I, I just don't get it. 
Well, at this point, I, I like I said, I, I think it's just Stan Bowman trying to keep his job. Because if, if you go full rebuild, he's not keeping his job. Like, they're going to start with someone else. They're going to start fresh. Yeah, so. I think, too, the other thing is, like, this whole concept that the window is officially closed is kind of new, right? I think maybe it really set in when we found out they weren't making the, the playoffs this year. I mean, we, we knew it was closing. We knew it was slim. But for us to sit here and be frank with each other and say it's over, the window is closed for this this dynasty of a core is something that, who knows, they might not even have come to that realization yet up there. Yeah, well. I, I think they know. There's uh, there's no way that they don't know that they're, you know, like like Stan Bowman is looking at this roster and watching the all above 6-1 Winnipeg Jets just work their way through the playoffs, and he's looking at his roster going, there's no way that we can make the playoffs with this team. So he knows that he's just looking to save his job any way he can, but I, I just – like I said, I, I, there's no real solutions, I don't think, to to it other than a teardown. So, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Maybe they can create some cap space somehow and grab a few good guys and be better than we think. I just – it's hard to, hard to imagine. Personally, I think it's kind of disappointing that we had to have this conversation already because, like, relatively speaking, I mean, Jonathan Taze is 30 years old. He's he's should have and oh I understand the hard miles argument I get it we have that conversation all the time, but did I, John did you think that at thirty years old we would basically be be sticking a fork in nineteen or or you know even Duncan Keith? Well, I, I got to be honest with you, I, I haven't stuck a fork in Taves yet. I I still think that uh, he's he's got at least two or three years really really good years in him if if he gets in the right situation and if he's not being asked to take. Uh, you know, all the key draws in three different situations as the Hawks have been asking him to do for the last few years, um, which I know for a fact wears him down. And, and he's asked them to get him some faceoff help. And, um, you know, I say I'm not really, you know what? And I, a year from now, I could be saying, you know what? Yeah, he was he was done. But I, I still feel like there have been flashes the last couple of years of the, of the player he's always been. And uh, he's had a lot of changes on his wings. Um, you know, he's been playing with guys like Duclair and Dick Panic, and, uh, you know, God knows who else. I mean, he had, he had Ryan Garbutt on his wing at one point last year. <laughs> I mean, so, I, again, I'm not I'm not really ready to say that, but, I, you know, I think it's pretty clear that Keith, you know, he's probably getting long in the tooth. We know Brent Seabrook is, um, you know, and, and uh, I just – so, again, I, I don't think it's so much those guys. I think it's – but I do think that the supporting cast – around them has fallen off so badly that it's putting it's it's dragging those guys down a little bit and if you know if they can rebuild the supporting cast who knows those guys could could come back and have pretty good years but uh um yeah well from the debbie downers <laughs> let's let's turn it uh let's flip flip the script a little bit and uh so we have our boy uh mario tarabasi who has our war pigs report so he's going to go ahead and give us a little report on the playoff undefeated Rockford Ice Hogs. So let me turn it over to Mario. Hey guys, what's going on? I uh, wish I could be on tonight on the, on the round table, but uh, prior commitments uh, called my name. 
I uh, just wanted to give you an update on the Rockford Ice Hogs as they uh, continue their hot streak in the postseason, advancing to the Western Conference Finals of the uh, Calder Cup playoffs. First time in AHL history that the Ice Hogs have advanced beyond the second round. Uh, the last time that they've been this deep in any postseason was 2007 when uh, the Ice Hogs won the Colonial Cup, I believe it is called, in the uh, UHL. Uh, this is also the furthest that a Chicago Blackhawks American Hockey League affiliate has gone in the playoffs since 1982 when the New Brunswick Hawks uh, won the Calder Cup in uh, 1982 as I mentioned so uh, pretty historical times here for uh, for for the Ice Hogs I was able to uh, make the trip over to Rockford today talked with uh, a few of the players talked with uh, Matthew Highmore Colin Delia and uh, of course talked to head coach Jeremy Colleton kind of getting the feel of the locker room as they uh, are, are still unbeaten in the playoffs uh, 7-0 and with a sweep of the Chicago Wolves in the first round and then uh, coming off a, a sweep of the Manitoba Moose here in the second round. And uh, it's it seems like, you know, the, the, the confidence isn't too high. Um, Jeremy Colden, he spoke about making sure that they understand they haven't really accomplished anything yet, understanding that, you know, even though they are setting uh, – uh, you know, AHL franchise records for, for how well they've done in the playoffs and how many wins they've gotten, everything like that. The ultimate goal is still uh, to be achieved. And that, that's translating to the players. Um, Matthew Highmore and, and, and Colin Delia both spoke to it. They both spoke to uh, wanting to, to, to stay even keel and, 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 and knowing that, um, you know, the, the, the ultimate goal is, is, is not done yet. Um, the, the team has been playing phenomenal. Uh, Delia basically is, is, is driving this team uh, from, from the net. Uh, he leads the AHL in uh, lowest goals against average so far in the playoffs, uh, 1.64, which is uh, .01 better than the goalie he's going to be facing uh, on the other side of the ice in Mike McKenna with the Texas Stars, who's at a 1.65. Uh, McKenna, a 9.52 save percentage through nine playoff games. Delia second with a 9.48 through uh, seven playoff games. So this series is going to be very interesting to watch uh, as far as goaltending goes. Two of the top uh, top guys in the Calder Cup playoffs go- going uh, against each other. But it was interesting talking with Delia. He basically said that his motivation doesn't come from wanting to out battle the other goalie it really comes from himself trying to uh and enjoy the moment uh enjoy the the fact that he's in in the playoffs in the postseason and enjoy the fact that he's playing so well and 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 really um being one of the key factors for the ice hogs as 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 they move along here um other than delia in net Special teams has been huge for the Ice Hogs throughout the the postseason, and really when you when you break down what they've done, um, when you break down what they've done, uh, basically since the middle of January all the way through till now, um, you know the, the the team finished the regular season in the bottom third of both penalty killing and uh, on their power play. But when you look at 
the smaller sample size, the most recent sample size, they've been uh, they've been one of the top teams in the league, and in the postseason, they are the top team uh, in 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 the Calder Cup playoffs as far as power play goes. They're executing at a, a 37 and a half percent success rate on the power play, which is uh, I think it's 16 percent higher than uh, than second place. And their penalty killing unit uh, out of the teams that are out of the four teams that are left is 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 the top uh, penalty killing unit. And overall, throughout the entirety of the playoffs, you know they're second. And, and they're only second behind uh, the, the Wilkes players, Scranton Penguins, who I believe only played one round. So when you go by sample size, you know, they're, they're, they're 26 of 28 on the penalty kill, and they didn't allow a power play goal to the uh, Manitoba Moose in the four games that they faced each other uh, in the second round. So a lot of that also is, is, is on the penalty kill contributed to, to the play of Delia in net. Um, but you look at the guys that they that they roll out there, and they're they're blocking shots, they're um, controlling the, the puck when they're in their own zone, and and, and they're clearing it. So their 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 kill has been great, and their power play has just been pretty much automatic uh, throughout these playoffs. Uh, Chris DiDomenico, Cody Franzen, uh, Adam Clendenning, they have been key drivers uh, of the of the the top power play unit for the last you know month or so. And uh, and they continue to be uh, the they continue to be eight of uh, eleven of Di Domenico's points have come on the power play. He leads all skaters in the uh, Calder Cup playoffs with points with eleven, and uh, not far behind him are our friends and 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 Clendenning. And, and they've really through the power play had a lot of opportunities to to put points up on the board, uh, and and really they've they've been driving. Uh, Rockford through these 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 last couple of games. Um, another player that's gotten a lot of g- good opportunities on the power play and has really started to emerge in this postseason is uh, Victor Agel. Um, you know he was acquired from the uh, the Nashville Predators in the in the Ryan Hartman deal, and he has been uh, one of the the biggest factors in the last maybe four or five games uh, for the Ice Hogs. You know, he had the, the triple OT game-winning goal against against the Wolves, and, and basically that was a two-goal a two night for him. That was really his his emergent, uh, emergence. It came at that, at that time, and, and since then he, he was a, a key key factor for Manit- uh, against Manitoba. And, um, you know, Jeremy Carlton keeps con- continues to say that he, he sees – Way more potential in Agel than than he's even reached yet. So, um, looking at, at what he's been able to do so far, it feels like the more he gets on the ice, the more comfortable he is with uh, with the North American game. You got to figure factor in. You know, he's only played for about a month, uh, a little bit over a month uh, on on North American ice as he he came over from Sweden uh, in 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 March. So. Um, you know he's he's getting his confidence level up. He's getting more confident with uh, uh, with the puck, comfortable with the lineup, and and it's it's really starting to show. So if he can continue to do that, they can do uh, they can do a lot of damage uh, against Texas. And um, you know it's it it really goes to show that you know the, the the trade for Ryan Hartman, while maybe unpopular with with the fan base, is 
is actually going to bring in a, a pretty sizable forward, a pretty skilled forward, and a, a young guy at that. Aidsel just about 22, 23 years old. Um, and then with you know with Nashville uh, exiting the playoffs at, at, at the Western Conference semifinals, uh, Chicago comes away with the 27th pick. So uh, you know Aidsel was a, a pretty pretty decent pickup of a of a European prospect, and I think he's got a lot to offer. And we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg here with uh, with Rockford in the playoffs. Um, other than that, I mean, we, we still have a, a couple more days before uh, the puck drops for Game 1. Uh, Friday, May 18th in Cedar Park, Texas, Rockford, and the Stars uh, get underway for, uh, for Game 1. Game 2 will then be Sunday, the 20th in Texas, and then Games 3, 4, and 5 will be next week, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Uh, if necessary, Friday. Uh, those will be the three home games for Rockford. So uh, we will, we'll have more coming uh, coming on this series as, as we move along, uh, looking to do a little bit more of an in-depth uh, piece on uh, on the Ice Hawks players going into the series. Um, so look for that on therink.com. Uh, just posted earlier today the, uh, the, the statistical breakdown by the numbers, players to watch. And, uh, and the interviews I did with, uh, with Colleton, Highmore, and Delia up on, uh, on, on our website. So go check that out uh, for a little, uh, little appetizer for the series. And um, look forward to uh, really getting into it. Um, hopefully, if, uh, if, you know, if, if, if it's in the cards, if Rockford can advance to the, uh, to the Calder Cup Finals, we might even do, uh, uh, do, uh, do an away game. So... We'll see what, uh, what what we can uh, what we can do, but first things first, got to take care of uh, of Texas. So I'll throw it back to you guys, and uh, hope you guys are having fun. Talk to you later. All right. Well, thank you to Mario Tarabasi for our War Pigs report. Um, just to expand on that, I mean, Rockford's been kind of kicking ass in the playoffs. Uh, I don't know how much you guys have seen of it, but uh, my boy. Colin Delia has been uh, absolutely on fire. And uh, <laughs> ever since John struck down Victor Edsel, he's been a scoring machine in the AHL playoffs. So, uh, hey, hey, <laughs> AHL legend, I'm, I'm, I'll buy that. I just want to see it happen in the, in the NHL. I'm not saying it won't. Just haven't seen it yet. Yeah. But uh, there's some, there's been a lot of good things. But you get, you got like all these AHL or these veteran guys like, Cody Franzen and Adam Clendenning and players like that that are that are kind of toting the mail down there and uh, leading these young players into the playoffs or through the playoffs. So it's it's been a good mix. I mean, it, it's a good story considering the Blackhawks don't really have much in the way of good stories. So, but uh, yeah, so possibly Joel Quinville's replacement coaching that team. Would you guys say that would could be a possibility? I think, no, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I think they're definitely grooming him for that. He's not ready yet. I mean, he's still a young player or a young coach, but uh, you know, it, it originally I was like, ah, nah, he's still he's still a ways out. You know, I think Kevin Deneen or you know, Ulf Samuelson would be the next guy, or even Granado. But uh, I think now is thing. You know, I think they're they're liking more and more what they're seeing out of Jeremy Colleton, and. Uh, I think he's moving up the depth chart quickly, kind of a lot like his goalie is. Uh, moving up the depth chart as far as a possibility is, you know, 
seeing seeing their face in Chicago playing in the United Center or coaching in the United Center, you know, I'm not going to say next year, but, you know, in the next couple of years, maybe. How about you, John? Yeah, you know, I, I if, if when people would talk about that with Colleton earlier in the year, I was just like, I mean, come on, this guy's 32 years old. And uh, we're talking about him replacing a Hall of Fame coach who's won three Stanley Cups. But I'll tell you something. I mean, I've heard some things about what Rockford is doing in terms of their systems and their style of play that uh, are making me wonder now if if this guy doesn't have a future, um, you know, coaching an NHL team. Um, because, you know, he's 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 implementing systems and a style of play that that is winning in the NHL right now. Um, so it's, it'll be interesting to see. And there's, and there's a reason they went out and got this 32 year old guy to coach guys pretty much his age in the AHL. Um, and it's probably because this guy thinks the game at a very high level and, um, you know, he wasn't a great player. Um, but then again, a lot of great coaches were not great players. Quenville wasn't Scotty Bowman wasn't. So uh, yeah, there could be, he could be in their plans long-term. Well, as far as Calgary goes as a player, I think it, I think injuries took the toll on him. I think he was an okay player, but just uh, yeah. he he started having uh, injury problems, and then that's when it all went south. But uh, yeah, so I, I guess we're gonna see. We'll see. We'll see how far these uh, war pigs can go. So, I think regardless, it's good experience for some of the, of the young guys, like a John Hayden, who I really like, and David Camp, who. I think could be a nice Kruger-esque replacement and maybe even Forsling. I think, you know, some of those guys are getting really good experience. If we, You know, you want to talk about the future part of it. I mean, obviously, like you said, there's a lot of veteran guys that are playing, you know, Lance Boma and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I think that's good, good experience and good minutes for those guys playing that type of hockey for sure. Jake, have you uh, been paying attention at all or no? Dude, yeah, it's kind of why I've been quiet. I'm going to plead uh, ignorance mostly. I watched the Wolves series because uh, it was a little bit easier to find on local TV here. Other than that, everything I know about the Rockford Ice Hogs, I have learned through the great Mario Cherbasi, which I guess makes me an expert because he's awesome at it. Uh, nah, you know what, man? I, 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 I know that they're playing well, and from what I was able to see in that Wolves series, I really liked uh, what Conf did. I like Matthew Highmore, and... Uh, just for Aaron, I uh, I am a Lance Bowman fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Thank you, asshole. <laughs> well, uh, thanks to Mario for uh, the War Pigs report. He always does an excellent job. So I, if you're not following Mario, I don't know why you're not. But he is our hero, right, John? He is. He's fantastic. Yeah, I love that guy. Well, um, also we have um, the draft coming up. Um, I, you know, I will admittedly say I'm no expert on the draft, but uh, you know, everyone's making their uh, estimations and prognostications and whatever is going to go on. But I mean, honestly, it, where they sit, uh, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what trades are going to happen. You don't know who's going to be there. I'm going to assume that you know the Blackhawks really want to drive hard to get a, you know to get a quality defenseman who could step in and possibly be the top defensive prospect in the system from day one. Um, I think, you know, I think that's going to be the direction they, they need to go in because if, if they're lacking at any, you know, any, any one position other than goalie, and you're not going to pick a goalie in the first round or a, at least not where they're sitting at, at number eight. You, you may later in the round, but um, I, I think they're going to go defenseman. So. 
Yeah. I, go ahead. Go ahead, John. I, you know, it, it certainly seems like the, the most significant organizational need. I think if there's a guy there when they pick at number eight, assuming they don't add any other picks before then, um, if there's a guy there at number eight who's just an outstanding value at that pick, regardless of position, I, I could see them taking him. Because this is the kind of draft where there's there's a lot of guys who a lot of scouts can are looking at and saying, this is a guy who can be a real difference maker in the NHL, like Zadina or uh, Svechnikov or um, uh, Kachuk. Um, right. And, and some people are very high in this tiny uh, Swedish defenseman, Bokvist. Um, you know, um, Evan Bouchard, a lot of people really think highly of him as, you know, sort of a, you know, a big two-way center, maybe, maybe sort of in the Brent Seabrook, Seabrook mode as he, um, as he, um, evolves. So, um, there's a lot of guys they could, they could grab at number eight. And if they, if they think a, a really elite talent has fallen to them, I, I don't think that they'll worry about the position as much because the, the reality of it is, um, at, they, they have a needed center as well. Um, so defense or center, I could definitely see them go in that direction. Yeah. What do, what do you think, I, Ty? I think, I think in any draft, especially with the way the Blackhawks roster looks right now, they, you've got a draft best available. I'm like you guys, I don't know much about the prospects, but just knowing, looking at their roster and their team, they need impact players. Yes. Top end players. So if that means it's a right wing, even though you have Patrick Kane, you draft a right wing. Like I, I don't care what position it is at any of the picks ever really in an NHL draft because most of them aren't even going to be in consideration for a few years. So I just want the best players. Now, yeah, they definitely need defense. Like there's no doubt about it. But I, I think if your first, if your first and second round pick, the top guy on your board is is a forward, then you draft them. I, I think that. They, they just lack top-end talent everywhere on their roster, both prospects and the NHL roster. Well, looking at it, it might just so happen uh, that Evan Bouchard is your number one pick at number eight You have because you have teams that might not necessarily be looking for a defenseman or you have these big names like uh, like John was mentioning. You've got a Kachuk going in this draft. Um, I really like Evan Bouchard. I'm a big proponent of, and, and this is just my own personal opinion, uh, when it comes to draft picks uh, that maybe don't have size, stay away from uh, stay away from the Big Ten or, or college. I'm a big fan of, of guys who play some type of semi-pro hockey. Cage uh, list, and you got a guy like Evan Bouchard who played for the London Knights. Uh, I think yep. we know a couple guys who played for them. So I'd rather see them go that route. If a lot of these talents match up pretty evenly, uh, I'd say you know because I look at while he's still he's phenomenal. He's an impact player. Everyone was comparing Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid before they came into the league. And I think that McDavid, coming from that semi-pro culture, has, has made a difference between him and Eichel because Eichel plays a shyer style of hockey than he does. I, I agree 100%. I, I think that a lot of guys coming out of college because they've been playing with the full cage and, you know, as, as, a, pro, as a pro player once said uh, a number of years back, you know, in college with the full cage, they, they run around like they're 10 feet tall. Um, and a lot of these guys, when you know, like the great, um, oh gosh, I've even forgotten his name, uh, Tyler Mott. When he came <laughs> up a couple of years ago, he was going to be the guy. He was going to, he was, he was Debrinkit before Debrinkit was Debrinkit. 
And um, he came up and like within the first, I think, few weeks, he got a real bad concussion because he was skating with his head down, thinking he could get away with that. And he's not really been the same since. And I think that um, that's a really, really good observation. I, I tend to to earn the side of the kids who've had the, the major junior experience. London Knights program is outstanding. Dale Hunter um, has worked with Bouchard there. Um, the only thing, the only negative about Bouchard that I've heard is that his skating is not terrific. It's not terrible, but it's kind of in the average zone for a guy his size, which is fine. But, uh, you know, a guy who can really put up points and he can defend. He's gotten a lot better in his own end, and he's certainly got the size and the competitiveness that you want. Well, especially in this organization where they've been, where it's been, a, a, you know, a whole busload of miniature players. That they've been drafting, or you know, smallish defense. Yeah, it's like a clown car. I mean, yeah, great. You know, Alex Brinkett, he scored some goals. Okay, but he's still a secondary that's, scoring. That's gonna get some guy. some subtweets. Don't ever post a picture of your kid with a card signed by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Yeah, I know. Oh. everywhere will be appalled. Yeah, I know. <laughs> God, don't remind me. Ugh. Well, speaking of Debrinket, uh, that's another segue. Um, the the double IHF World Championships are going on, which the Blackhawks haven't really had a huge presence in the you know the past decade. But uh, there are lots of Blackhawks playing there now. Uh, you know, as in uh, Patrick Kane, Debrinket, uh, Connor Murphy, Jordan Osterle. Uh, Yurko, Gustafson, Anisimov, uh, Prospect, uh, Maxim Shalunov, and the new signing, one of the Blackhawks' newest signings, Dominic Cahoon. And uh, so there are a lot of Blackhawks playing in the double IHF. But the reason I bring this up is because of this whole scuttlebutt about uh, Patrick Kane playing with Alex Dabrinkit on his wing uh, because they made one or two or one or two plays against on international ice that all of a sudden makes them a magical combination that has now come up because no one has anyone else, anything else to talk about. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? It's really funny you bring up the uh, the international ice because that, that was the same thought I had. Guys like Kane and Dabrinkit can make plays on international ice that are a lot harder to make on smaller ice against, you know, big, more physical players in, in the NHL. So I don't think you can – I mean, a lot of people have jumped to this thing of, Oh, Q's an idiot. He didn't play Kane and Debrinket together. Look at how they're doing. But it's it's a European ice sheet, and it's a it's a really different style of play. Um, and you you can't necessarily because A equals B say B equals C. It it just it's not necessarily the case. It may well be that they play together this year and they really really do well. But I thought last year when people talked about them playing with Schmaltz centering them, I'm like, who's gonna go get those pucks in the corners? Because you need to do that in the NHL. you got to be able to go and retrieve pucks, and you need somebody to create space for smaller guys like that. And with Schmaltz at center, you don't have that guy. Anisimov, maybe, if he could keep up with me, let alone those guys. Um, but, you know, it's that's that's a problem they have. I mean, I, I think that I, I really think the Hawks still need um, uh, another center who can, who can contribute offensively, but that's another story. But, yeah, I don't think necessarily – um, this tournament says that, you know, Kane and Debrinket are meant to play together forever. I, I've i always liked the idea of those guys playing together. I don't think it's necessarily like, oh, Q's an idiot. Like, that's a no-brainer because, like, I always made the comparison of Panarin and 
uh, in Debrinket. And obviously, Panarin's a way better player. He's bigger, he's faster, he's stronger. But I think there's similarities in their games that Kane and Debrinket could work. But the biggest thing is your point, John. Nick Schmaltz is nowhere near physical enough to play a center on that line. They're ju- they just get pushed around. And Anisimov's yeah. way too slow. So, yeah. that I mean, it's a huge team need. But I in a perfect world, yeah, if you get a, a 6-2 center that could play, yeah, you could throw those two guys on the wing. And I think that'd be a really nice line. But that's a big if, especially with the, the restrictions that they have. So... I, I, I like those two guys together, but with their current roster, it doesn't really work out right now. So I think that's that's kind of my, where I'm at on it. Yeah, I mean, the double IHF, come on. It's it's just, it, to me, it's it's just more of a gimmick, right? I mean, it gives uh, Kevin Weeks and uh, Brian Lawton something to talk about in between uh, the, the conference finals. It, it's interesting. You get to see a couple different combinations, but with the ice sheet being different, being the, the caliber of players being different, the uh, Lackadaisical defense. It, I just—it's more of a gimmick to me. I'm not—I'm not really factoring any of this into considerations for for the Chicago Blackhawks in the regular season next year. Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, how many top end players are really playing in the IHF tournament? Uh, Patrick King. That's about all I can think of. Uh, right? Yeah. Right. Thomas Turco. <laughs> I mean, Pavel yeah. Datsuk still has some gas in the tank, but not much. But when you look at even when you look at goalies, like. Where where where's like that the Lundqvist or, or you know or, or the Carey Price or whatever? Where are those go- good goals? I was listening uh, to the uh, oh gosh, what is the the Hawks Talk podcast? Is that the one with Pat Boyle? Yeah, and he uh, he he had Edzo on, and Edzo was actually telling a story about how he in in some ways had to help convince Patrick Kane to even appreciate the value of participating in stuff like this so i think that's a pretty good measure of how serious these guys are taking it and no one is putting their health or their career on the line to defend patrick king and alex Sabrinkin in the double ihf so i don't think you you can really take anything away from their performance that's solid and i i haven't mentioned this before but am i the only one that's not thrilled about patrick kane playing these extra games it's extra games extra miles i would love for him to take the months off if, i mean obviously i wouldn't be his trainer but you know like he shouldn't i don't think that it's a great idea for him to be playing him in, in the first place i i don't think he needs to play those games alex to yeah i'd love for him to play it's more experience with nhl quality players but I don't think there's any reason Patrick Kane should be really be playing, especially if we're trying to get back to the playoffs next year. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not thrilled about that idea of him playing in these games. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but. Well, as far as USA hockey goes, it's a marketing move for them. You know, they get, they get Patrick Kane out there. They might be able to get a couple of players. They can go out there and say, Hey, you know, if they win the, the championship, Hey, look at USA hockey's back. We're back on the map after so many, you know, this is, purely a usa hockey thing uh you know they probably begged him to go just so that you know they could get some decent names to go out there and play because they're not like canada where canada's second and third you know wave of players could still go out there and compete the U- mm-hmm. usa if they if you put their second and third level out there you're talking about you know college kids so i mean i i, I don't know i, I guess i'm kind of indifferent either way but i i get your point and i see your point and Sure. Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, we're in the area of 30 years old, like, you know, do you need, yeah, I mean, does and, really need and it's not a huge thing because I, like you said, it's, it's 
I mean, it's not super competitive hockey, and I don't think any of those guys are really looking to kill each other. But, you know, just, just as far as the wear and tear, you know, I don't know how many games exactly they play, but, you know, I, it, it just adds miles to a guy who's played in three Stanley Cups in the last 10 years. So that, that, that's my thought process on that. Why can't he just play roller hockey with Corey Perry? <laughs> or he could play with Patrick Maroon. That's the yep. guy, right? Pat Magoon. <laughs> <laughs> and Brandon Bolig, yeah, they all play the role. They all play the roller hockey. Well, um, we talked about the draft. We talked about the ice hogs. We talked about everything else. Um, I guess we could kind of get into some questions. We're rolling in on an hour here, so um, we got a couple of questions. So I guess we could kind of just go off the cuff and talk about what we got here. Our boy Brain Sprain from uh, from the hockey chat. He says, "Is it uh, fair to state that?" Q squandered opportunity on Kempney into a legitimate four top D man, or do you think Kempney is just playing well in a sample size? I think we kind of addressed this pretty, pretty in depth and we'll, yes. yeah, and we'll regress. So I think we kind of talked about that, but uh, Johnny Utah, who's <laughs> he's our favorite Panarin for sod trade guy. Uh, if the Blackhawks have another year like last year, at what point does Bowman or a new GM sit down with the core players to see if they're open to waiving no-movement clauses and make drastic changes? Uh, I would rather trade a player if they're, gonna, if they're willing, to move a no, uh, willing to move their, well, move, it should be waive their no-movement clause while they still have value rather than holding on to a player too long where you have to retain salary and move a prospect in order to get that. I think, John, I think you addressed that pretty well, right? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'll say about that is um, that's, I mean, that's how it works. You know I mean, and it, and it does happen. I mean, no trade clauses or no movement clauses get waived. Or in the case of, for example, Corey Crawford, the team can ask you for a list of teams um, that you would accept a trade to. And there was a rumor last year that they did ask Crawford for a list, and he basically said, I'm going to stack it with teams that that you'll never trade me to. I'm basically saying screw you to you guys. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But but the bottom line is is when you begin to have those conversations, that's a Pandora's box. And it's not necessarily that you don't want to do it, but it's not something you could kind of do halfway. It's like you, you if you're if you're going to do that, you're committing then to start moving some of these guys because once you have that conversation. It, it the relationship never gets back to what it once was. John, I, I actually to, to piggyback off that, I wanted to ask you. I mean, do you know of anybody aside from Danny Heatley back in the day who, like, if a, a GM approaches you about waiving that, are there has there ever been an instance where a player was like, "No, I'm sticking around. Maybe I'm just I can't think of one off the top of my head." But I feel like oh, there there's there's lots of times. I mean, the Blue Jackets, for example, when when they had Rick Nash. Uh, Nash had one of those limited no trade clauses and they, you know, they tried forever to work out a list of teams so they could move them. And it, it took a couple few years. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, no, no, no movement clauses will prevent trades. Definitely. Um, if a guy doesn't want to go, but oftentimes what happens with those is, is that when the team comes with the guy, it's even though he's got the no movement clause, he's like, they don't want me around. Screw them. Fine. I'll give them a list. I'm going to get out of here. Right. So, I was thinking, yeah, it's, you know, but for, you know, for the Hawks, it's, it's a little bit tougher because you got guys like Keith and Tate, for example, who have really deep roots in the community. And um, now for a guy like, you know, the other thing about the Montreal thing that I thought was interesting is, you know, Tate's mom is French and Tate's is a French speaker. 
And, you know, he strikes me as the kind of guy that, you know, if he were going to go to a storied original six franchise in Canada, because Taves is kind of a big deal in Canada. Yeah. Um, I could actually kind of see that. But again, I mean, I, I, I think Taves also wants to win, too. And I, I don't think he turns his, his back on the Hawks to go to a team that's going to, you know, finish 13th in their conference, even though the Hawks finished 13th in their conference. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, well I, and, and, I would think that trading, like, if you're going to, if you're really going to, like, tear it down and you're going to trade everybody, like, wouldn't that make it easier? Because if I go to Kane, Taves, Keith, Crawford, and I'm like, we're trading everybody that we can, wouldn't it be easier? Because those guys would want to be like, well, I'm going to just go to a team that wants to win. I don't want to stay on a team and be the last guy. You I know, can see you, that. There's yeah. that's, that's the other side of it. Well, so um, I, I would think of it as it being easier, but like you said, you got to go into it all the way. You can't just like do one or two of the guys. Yeah. I, I want to jump back a little bit to, to Jake's point and his question about that with the no move, no trade thing. Um, recently with Brian Burke moving from the front office to like a broadcasting position, I was listening to a podcast with him on and I love the Burke family. I, I actually know, you know, know some people from the Burke family and I love Brian Burke. I love his style. He's a straight shooter. He doesn't BS you. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people don't like that, but I like it. Um, but furthermore, with him, he was talking about uh, a trade that he tried to make that actually was the birth of the no uh, movement clause rather than the no trade clause, which was, I guess it was tar- Todd Marchant. They wanted to trade him. And they asked him to, to move his no trade clause. And he said, no. And, he's, and so Brian Burke said, well, if I can't trade you, I'm going to waive you and send you down to the minors. Yeah. Which was then the birth of the no movement clause. Cause then they can't be waived and sent down. And eventually Todd Marchant did get moved and, and the whole thing, but that's kind of where that came from. And that, that was a, a story with one player who didn't want to waive. So anyway, uh, moving on, Ken Kallenbach, uh, the Hawks more likely to use f- uh, both first round picks, trade for a player or trade down since they have no second. What do you think, John? Um, in this draft, it's going to be really hard to move up. I, you know, I've, people have asked me, you know, what if the Hawks package their now 27th pick with their eighth to get up, you know, into the top five? I'm not sure that would do it. Um, you know, there's so many at the top of the draft, there's so many really good, potentially really good players that I think teams are going to be loath to give up that, that pick for, for something in the eighth range and then something in the 27th range, which could end up being, you know, Adam Monroe, (laughs) you know, um, it's just, it's just a whole different deal. So, um, I, I I don't know that they're going to be able to do that. I think, and I wouldn't trade down per se, because I mean, at eight, you could get a really nice player in this draft. Again, if I'm the Hawks in this draft, if I'm the GM, I'm looking for a way to add another first-round pick because this team, like Ty, like Ty said, this team has some holes organizationally. And, you know, three years from now, Duncan Keith's going to be 38 years old. Brent Seabrook's going to be 36. Jonathan Taves, 33. Um, you uh, you know, I, there's Rockford is playing really well, really well, but how much of that is system and how much of that is elite talent? I think it's more system than it is elite talent on the way. I think there's some good guys there that can play in the NHL, but I don't think there's any superstars there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, 
I mean, if you can figure out a way, like you said, I, I don't see anybody moving up, and that includes not just the Hawks, because like right. you said, if, you know, you have a stacked draft that's literally the top ten or probably the best that I've seen, at least in recent memory. But there is, like there always is, pr- a pretty big drop-off. And I think the Hawks are inside of that drop-off at eight, but uh, you have to start looking a little bit more long-term. And uh, if you have to unload some of these guys that you're banking on making the lineup next year or who have been in and out of the lineup due to Q pulling or pushing or pulling or pushing, then, then so be it. Because another, another first-rounder would be awesome. Well, too, and you look at, like, what is what Stan Bowman's history is and look what he did last year. Like he wanted Henry Yokiharo and he knew that Dallas wasn't going to take him. So he moved down and picked up, you know, a pick and still got Yokiharu and got a pick out of it. Stan likes Which to try is a to nice move. What's that? Which is a nice move. Right. I mean, right. You can't, you, you gotta lightly applaud that. Assuming Yokiharu becomes the player that he possibly potentially could become. Right. And so, so say just for argument's sake, Evan Bouchard's there and say, uh, I don't know who's ninth, but um, I'd have to look at the list, but say whoever's at ninth, you know, doesn't want Bouchard, but they want to move up and they want to grab a guy that, you know, whatever. And the block, the, the Blackhawks can leverage that to get a second round pick. Sure. Maybe that could happen. And, yeah. and Stan Bowman has shown that he will do that. If he's sure he can get the guy that he really wants. So uh, it's not the beyond the realm of possibility because Bowman's done it before. Um, but I think that, you know, they, they, they need to re they need to replenish the cupboard. So I don't see them getting rid of picks. I see them, you know, uh, trying. And also they, they've shown that they like to have a lot of picks, <laughs> whether it works out or not. I don't know, but uh, they've shown that they like to have a lot of picks. It gives them more chance to have players that succeed and all that. So, I think, I think he, yeah, he's not going to want to unload. He's going to want to acquire, yeah. if anything. I think with this draft, this is the draft you you try to get that that another first round pick. And you know, again, I don't know how much credence there is to that Islanders rumor, but there's a team with an 11th overall and a 12th overall needs a goalie. Um, I don't know what their cap situation is like, but assuming you know you could reduce your cap burden in moving Crawford there, you know, with with a lot of other factors that are going to be at play this summer. The Hawks could have the money to go out in the free agent market and get a goalie for six, seven million dollars, who could be a, a pretty good goalie. Um, I don't know who all is available at the position, Jeff. You probably do, but um, you know that's part of the problem with trades. And I think Hawk fans, you know, when you start talking about trading a guy, they they automatically assume you're going to get a bag of donuts back, and that that you know that, that there isn't a way to backfill the position and perhaps backfill it well. Now, granted. You know Bowman's history with the trades last summer. Um, I could see why people would be a little more, little more scared. But um, the truth of the matter is, the Hawks are also going to have some money to spend this summer too. So there, there are a lot of ways that they could make maneuvers to pick up that extra first-round pick and still backfill in free agency. So, um, but again, is, is Bowman going to be aggressive? Is the organization going to let him be aggressive? You know, is John McDonough going to have to rubber stamp and, and microanalyze every move? Um, so to where they, they just can't get anything done. Cause that's rumored to have happened a lot in the past. So we're going to have to see. Yeah. To answer your question about goalies, there's not a whole lot on the market as far as free agents, RFAs or UFAs. Um, it's not a pretty, I mean, if you, if you want to yeah. get an, I, I, I they're not going to go out there and do an offer sheet to anyone. So no, they I, won't. 
I mean, the closest thing you have to anything like that ever happening is Philip Grubauer. Because they're not going to be able to, you know, if you pay him a lot of money, Washington's not going to be able to match it. They're not going to have two goalies in their system making, you know, what, $13 million or whatever. Yeah. Um, But, you know, Hellebuck, you know, they're going to match anything. uh, Yeah. As far as RFAs go. Robin Lehner, Peter Mrazek, those are RFAs. Those aren't even UFAs. UFAs are like Kerry Lettinen, Yaroslav Halak, Cam Ward, uh, Jonathan Bernier, Eddie Lack. I mean, that list... That's that's not number one goalies coming in here. No, uh, that's true. So I mean, you'd have to make a trade to bring in a, a goalie. So you'd and on top of trading someone away, you're going to have to then make a trade to bring someone in. So that's going to be a two part trade. But here's the problem, and the, here's the problem with this with this math, is that you keep holding on to these guys because you don't want to have a, a crappy year next year or the year after. But you're not gonna. But you're also not going to become a very good team again while these guys are here. So at some point you gotta you gotta bite the bullet and say you know what we we need to we need to go big here in order to get better long term because we're you know where the Hawks have been drafted. I mean this is the highest the Hawks have picked in ten years, and it shows. It shows in their talent pipeline. It shows in the guys that are on the roster that have come out of the system. It's not to say they stink, but you know. You know, DeBerk is probably the best prospect that's come up in a few years, and he, you know, he had some limitations. Schmaltz had some limitations. Give us Bernier. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, again, you know, th- there's a lot of options out there that, that may not be immediately obvious. They are going to have a lot of money to work with this summer if if uh, some of the reports are, are to be believed. And who knows? I mean, I, I again, I would love to get one of those picks from the Islanders and you're not going to get it for, uh, you know, for Anton Forsberg or Brett Seabrook. You're not going to get it. Yeah. Well, so. All right. Moving on to the next question, Derek Ciavales, he actually wanted to address the old uh, Montreal rumor. We talked about that and he wanted to talk about Kempney. We talked about that. He actually said, who is the blame Bowman or Q on the Kempney thing? I think we're all I think we're all kind of in agreement that it's more of a Q problem than that Bowman was kind of forced had his hand forced. You know what? El Samavia had a great tweet on this though, where he he's putting it more back on Bowman. <laughs> and I I kind of agree with him. I mean, you know, what he basically if I can find it actually, um but what you know what he basically said was is nobody had a gun to, to Bowman's head to get a third round pick for Kempney, you know? Um he had another little angle on it as well. Um, well, yeah, I mean, they he didn't have a gun, but did, did, were they getting offers on it? You know, and do you want to keep, you want to just like Kepney go, or do you want to get take a chance and, and, and acquire a pick for him before he's gone? Because well, he isn't going to come know, back. Al went in the Wayback Machine. He talked about, uh, he talked about also the Letty deal and how Bowman waited till the end of the summer. Oh, that was, a, that was horrible, yeah. Got crap back. So, I mean, he, he kind of bridged a couple of years there, but... Um, you know, it, it basically, you know, Quenville's not the GM, you know, and, and Bowman is, and at the end of the day, Quenville does not, as the head coach, make all the hockey decisions for the team. Ultimately, the GM is the guy who runs the whole shooting match. So I, I, again, I do think that we can look at Quenville and, and look at how he handles specific players, including Kempney, um, or mishandles them. But at the end of the day, you know, same with Trevor Daly. Bowman was a guy who went out and got the albatross of what was left of uh, Rob Scuderi's contract for him. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, 
Those I are loose propositions. Well, I think, and, and, and my honest opinion on that is that Quenville drove the market down on both players by not playing yeah. them, by yeah. you know sitting them out. As, I mean, how could you? How could you go? How could Bowman go to any team and be like, "Hey, I want a, a high second round pick for Michael Ketney," and and a Bowman come, and a, you know another GM, whoever it may be, comes back and says, "This guy hasn't even been playing." He doesn't even play, and you guys are t- a dog shit team, and and you want a second round pick, you know, go pound sand. So, you know, I you, we don't know what the market was, and I'm not, a, I'm definitely not a Stan Bowman apologist. I will roast Stan Bowman, you know, and but it, it, we don't know what that market was on on Kempney, and um, Quenville didn't help it any either by treating it the way he did i think bowman just salvaged what he could get out of it unfortunately that was probably all he could get out of michael kepney for a guy who's a healthy scratch uh six out of ten games or whatever yeah when i i heard the a rumor and you'll remember this gate that they were talking to ottawa about him and i heard that they were hope they were hoping to get a second round pick for him um, and I think that the, and, and they had decided at that point, that was a while back, a while before he was actually dealt. They had decided that they were going to move, they were going to either move him or Gustafson and more likely him. And um, they, uh, you know, so they ended up getting a, a third, which I believe was someone else's pick before it was Washington's, as I recall. Um, I and towards so a higher third, I think. Um, oh, yeah. And, and Al, I finally found Al's tweet. You know, he said, there's enough blame to go around, but Q doesn't pull the trigger to dump Kempney or to extend Ruda or to wait only a few days before the season opener to jettison Nick Letty. If I'm wrong, then Q should be the GM and a new head coach is needed. Uh, there's, you know, there's I'm with him there from, from senior Al. I'm with him on the, the Ruda and the Gustafson thing. I mean, th- both of those, I just scratched my head at. I don't know what the, what the race was to get both of those players extended. I don't see that teams are coming, you know, racing to Eric Gustafson or Jan Ruda's door to pay him $2.25 million. Uh, I, I just didn't see it, but, um, yeah, but you know, they, and he, and Bowman has definitely shown in the past that, you know, he extends people way early, uh, necessarily, you know, like Forsberg and Anissa Moff and all this other stuff. That uh, yeah. he pulled the trigger way early on those ones, but then when you get to the, like the Letty thing and all that, like he's way late to the party on that stuff. Yeah. So I think with the company stuff, I, I think Quinville's probably more so to blame, um, just because also I'm I, I'd be surprised if Kempney would have resigned with the Hawks. I, I I'm sure that I would assume Bowman knew he's not going to resign with us. That's why we'll trade him as opposed to Gustafson, but. In most other circumstances, like the Nick Letty trade, which is a huge thing that's affecting the Blackhawks now because they don't have a defenseman like Nick Letty. And so I, Bowman is definitely more so to blame, I think, bigger picture, though. I, I think if he would have had, could have made better trades um, or you know wouldn't have validated his Brandon Saad trade by extending Anisimov and giving him a no-movement clause before he even put on a Hawks sweater... I yeah. think that the Hawks would be in a better spot than they are now. Sure, Quinville here and there has mismanaged a player, but more so than not, Quinville's been right on a guy like Tyler Mott or Jack Skilly or guys that they really wanted to push through, and Quinville said, no, they suck. And then they went to Brandon Puri, he's another one. Yeah. You know? And, yeah, and it sounded like those guys went elsewhere and really tore it up. 
you know. No, that's that's uh, what I'm saying. Dylan like, Olson. Yeah, uh, Jimmy Hayes. I mean, there's a long list of them. Right. Mark McNeil. Like Adam Glendening. Yeah, Adam Glendening. Uh, Kyle Beach, which, I mean, oh. that was just a bad draft pick in general. But, you know, like you're naming a lot of guys that they tried to push through and they're, you know, they're propaganda prospects. Um, and Quinville is like, no, they're bad. So for every company, there's five other guys that we can name that said, well, Bowman wanted this guy. And then look at how he turned out. You know what I mean? Like Brandon Puri's playing for the wolves. Like, so I, I think overall it's, it's gotta be Bowman. Sure. We can criticize Quinville here, here, there, but uh, he's won three Stanley cups and he did. So with the last one with like three and a half defensemen. So. That I yeah. Mean, yeah, for sure. That that's fifteen and couples. Some, of some will come back to you and say that Bowman won three cups, but the truth is, the first cup he had very little to do with. Um, that one was more Dale Talon and Mike Smith, way more than than it was Stan Bowman. And, Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad um, you brought up Mike Smith. Mike <laughs> I'm, Smith. I'm glad you brought him up because our boy Sean White brought that up to me in one conversation about uh, you know how Mike's how people talk about the Talon thing, but. Uh, Mike Smith doesn't get the recognition for those early draft picks in the early 2000s that uh, he was responsible for. So, well, I, yeah, and and also Rick Dudley and Marshall Johnston. It was uh, it was Marshall Johnston who uncovered um, Dustin Bufflin, and uh, Rick Dudley had a lot to do with those. And quite honestly, when Talon was the assistant GM and the, and heading the scouting department up, he was the guy who went out and found Tuomo Rutu, who you know. Never was that great in Chicago or even in in Carolina, but at least they turned that that into Andrew Ladd later on. And uh, um, who was the guy they should have drafted instead of Cam Barker in 2004? So um, you know, there there that first team, which was so stacked with talent, um, and really was the core that you know that that brought the the cups in 2013 and 15 as well. Um, there were a lot of hands in that, but they were prim- primarily Dell Talon. Mike Smith and Rick Dudley. Yeah, exactly. I, you look at that that roster in 2010, like Andrew Ladd, Dustin Bufflin, like Dave Bowen. Like there's there's guys. I mean, Brian Bickle was like an afterthought. Now he and he had a decent career, but all those guys. Yeah, I mean, and you have all those guys. I mean, Bufflin and Ladd specifically. I mean, those guys were third. I mean, Ladd was on the third line on that team. Like, can, can we just think about that for a second? That's how good and stacked that team was. And every year it just whittled down and whittled down. And what draft picks of, of Bowman's really came through. Sure, Brandon Saad was a good – was a, definitely a good pick. And and Marcus Kruger came in and played well. But other than Actually, that – Kruger was a talent pick. Oh, well, there you go. Like, that's – you know what I'm saying? Like, Bowman's picks really didn't last. It was those Talon and Smith picks that – he just like salvaged for those years. Now, you look at the core of those teams. Like in all... fairness, though, on the picks, Talon was always picking high. I mean, he picked. He had a first overall pick. He had a third overall pick. He had a seventh overall pick that he wasted on Jack Skilly. Um, he had a, I believe it was eleventh uh, or twelfth overall that he wasted on Kyle Beach when he could have had, for example, Tyler Myers. Um, so. That's not really fair. Because and Cam Bowman, Barker. Don't forget him. Who? Cam Barker. Yeah, Cam Barker, right. Which you really should have taken Ladd that year. But um, bottom line, though, and then, you know, Bowman's not had really high picks. Um, this is the highest pick Bowman's ever had. 
Um, and uh, no pressure, Stan. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, so that's not fair, really, to, to, to make that comparison. But, uh, you know, <laughs> the trades, yeah, I think, that, I think that's fair because Talon made some great trades, actually. Yeah, you got to go off the trade. Patrick Sharp. Yeah. What'd you say, Jake? You were a little quiet there. You have to go more off the trade than you can the picks because Talon picked high every year, at least for the last five or six. Yeah, he did. I mean, and to the point where the picks were what got uh, it got basically the Hawks back on television. They got people into the building before they had proven themselves at all. It, it was purely the hype of how high he was picking Sutter to bring everybody around again before 88, 19, and 2 and 7 had ever started to really prove themselves. So I look think at the guys that Mike Smith picked. I mean, he picked Duncan Keith and, and Corey Crawford at the end of the second round. He picked um, Brent Seabrook in 2003, 2002, Rutu, 2001, Anton Babchuk, who actually ended up having a halfway decent career in Carolina. Um, but Mike Smith actually, even though he presided over some horrible Hawk teams and he never could seem to find a comb for his hair, um, he, <laughs> uh, and he hired Alpo Suhonen too. That was the other thing. But, um, you know, he actually did begin that, that process of stocking this team with elite talent. And, you know, again, some of his picks were later in rounds. So, um, you know, again, to, to your point, um, Sean's point about Mike, Mike Smith. Um, he actually did leave some positives on this team. I think then the big point with Bowman, I guess, is that he, sure, he was drafting later, but he's failed to supplement the core that he was given with legitimate NHL talent over the last, you know, 10 years or whatever it's been. I mean, you look at teams like Pittsburgh and you look at teams like Washington, and of course it's the most difficult thing in sports in a hard cap league to supplement with higher or lower draft picks, but he's definitely failed to supplement this roster and this core with legitimate players that can play like a Pittsburgh, like a Washington, you know, to to do those things. I'm being a Stan Bowman apologist, but – I mean, it, which which I don't necessarily want to be, but I mean, I think in 2013, um, you know, a lot of people scoffed that, you know, why are they going out and getting Michael Hanzus? Well, Hanzus made a different down difference down the line in that team, and you know, 2015, Antoine Vermette was was a great acquisition for that team, and he made a big difference in the playoffs when um, he played. Pardon me. When he played. When he played, right? Because Quenville um, wouldn't play him. Right. Yep. But, you know, bottom line, um, I do think that Bowman's moves the last few years uh, since 2015, for the most part, have come up craps and, uh, you know, snake eyes, rather, I guess. Um, and I, I think that uh, that's kind of indisputable. Yeah, I, I think overall, I, I'm not super impressed with uh, Stan Bowman. I mean, he's going to if he would have missed on every single trade, he wouldn't have made it this far. But I don't think that um, I don't think it's been he's he's got a uh, you know an exceptional track record. I think it's average at best as far as trades go. And I broke down the the his his drafting because I got sick of hearing about what a great drafter he was. And yeah, okay, yeah, I get it. He was you know drafting later in the rounds, blah blah blah. But 
that means you still have to have some sort of skill to be able to grab a decent player. And a lot of these players are just floating around the league in the AHL, never, you know, never more than, you know, depth players at the bottom of people's lineups. And, you, you know, he, until recently with, you know, Alex DeBrinkett and, you know, he had, he had a decent with, with Nick Schmaltz's, but we don't know what we have exactly, but he seems like he's a pretty good player and, he he's come up with a couple of decent ones lately, but it's taken him years to get that far. You know, he had Tabor Teravainen, which that you know that was decent play because look at what he's doing in a double IHF right now, and look how good he's done in Carolina. But you know, again, you're not going to miss every time because if you missed every time, he you wouldn't make it ten years as a GM in this league. So, but I, I yeah, don't think I, you know he's anything I, I more than like just slightly above average to me. I mean, the, the thing about the, the stand one, three cups argument that makes me want to throw up in my mouth is, you know, again, I, I give him full marks for doing some filling in around the edges um, that helped the team win in 2013 and 15. And you can't, you can't diminish that, but he, when he took over the job in the, in 2009, the summer of 2009, he inherited a generational uh, collection of talent and, you know, it, it's not like it's not like that he had to build the 2013 and 2015 cup teams. He didn't. And so I think that the whole, you know, he's won three cups thing. First of all, he wasn't he really had very little to do with the first cup at all. And the second two, you know, a lot of that, the, the foundation was there, baby. It was it was just simply, you know, making a few right moves to fill in around them. And he hasn't done it since because that foundation's been there. Yeah, I, I, I will say, to back to your point before, he, he definitely was pretty good with some of the trade deadline acquisitions, like you guys mentioned. Um, and and even, even last year with the Oduya trade, I mean, I know it didn't work out necessarily, but he didn't really give up anything for Oduya, like for, a fourth-round pick, right? So kind of a low-risk, high-reward kind of thing there. So I will say that his trade deadline track record has been better than I gave him credit for. So, yeah. but yeah, he, he didn't build those teams at all. Like either in the draft, he, he filled with some trade deadline acquisitions that were key parts of those teams for sure though. And also too, I mean, like, like John, you brought up Vermette and I don't think it was a bad trade. I think it was a great trade. Um, and at the time he was one of the most sought after names on the market. Yeah. And Stan got him. And the same with he Andrew the, Ladd. He was the big guy that year. And Andrew Ladd the same way. He was the big, one of the big names on there. He was the captain of Winnipeg. Like, of course, every team wanted to bring him in for their playoff run. Maybe it didn't work out. That's not Stan's fault that it didn't work out. Like, yeah, he, he got like, the player. He got the known quantity, or at least what we thought was the known quantity in that player, and said, here you go. This is, I got you the guy on the market that, that, that everyone wanted. And it didn't yeah. just didn't work out. So I'll give him I'll, I give him credit on that part of it, where he did go out and get what you know what everyone wanted. So yeah, I I that's my biggest question mark right now going on with his team. It seems like like I, I won't I won't lie to you. Last year the the Panarin facade thing I, did it suck to lose Panarin? It did, but I was I was a uh, among quite a few hockey fans who were excited to get Brandon Saad back only because I thought it would jumpstart Jonathan Tays. And I think a lot of people thought that it would. And I, I was of the belief that anyone could play with Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane 
could make anyone better, and he could perform with anybody on that line. I I could be a 30-goal scorer, I think, on, on Patrick Kane's left side. But I don't understand why, for whatever reason, like you said, Jeff, Stan will land these huge names that we all get excited for, and they just they just don't pan out. And at some point, I start to question, is there something going on you know, systematically or is with the dynamic in the room, because for whatever reason, again and again and again, these huge names, they don't ever land quite the way we thought they're, you know, we had originally thought they would. Well, but I mean, we could go on and on about this, but I mean, it's the same thing with the power play. You have a collection of talent out there. What's going on? Why can't it work? You know, um, I think, I think that, I think the coach, there's a disconnect between the coaches and the players and I think it's it's probably on both of them. Um, I think the coaches are, are trying to implement a, a scheme and a system that makes sense. And quite honestly, the, the Hawks, some of the things the Hawks try to do are, are teams that are things that other teams do. But I think at the same time, you've got some things going on in that power play with very talented players, but they're but they're playing on the power play in such a way where it, it's just so static. And uh, there's there's a disconnect there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't want to I don't want to belabor too long. Let's get to this last question and let's get out of here for the night. Last one was from uh, Jackie Davis from the Facebook page. Ja- thank you, Jackie. She always sends in great questions, and I want to make sure I get to her question uh, or questions. Uh, the revolving door of wingers for Taze never worked this year. Is that is it that no one ever had enough time up there, or is it the Taze himself has the problem? Well, I'm going to jump in on that because I mean, going back to the thing about because I thought bringing Sod back in was going to jumpstart Taves as well. But but here's the thing: I think a lot of people forget is that they subtracted a surefire Hall of Fame, arguably the best two-way winger in the game for the last 20 years. Um, you know, this year and and that had that had an effect because he was replaced by his um, cheap Slovakian facsimile Richard Panic, and that didn't work out very well and Panic couldn't score a goal to save his life and then the revolving store started the excuse me the revolving door started on his right wing this year as opposed to his left wing this year now that that feels to some people like an excuse for Taves and there's a degree to which you know a guy making ten and a half million dollars should be able to carry whomever on his back and go out and and perform and produce but I come back to the thing I've been harping on all year they really didn't have a full-time secondary face-off option for Taves in a lot of situations. I mean, Artem Anisimov and Nick Schmaltz absolutely stink in the face-off circle. Um, and, and fans got to face up to that fact and, and hope that Schmaltz gets better because Anisimov never will. They've tried, they've tried this with him in New York, in Columbus, and in Chicago. He is a 43 44% face-off guy, not going to change. And that burden of face-offs on Taves takes a lot out of them because face-offs are hard physical work on centers um, if you're going to win them and um, they got you know so so that's part of the problem too it's not it's it is the wings but it's also the lack of center depth on the team is I think is is hurting Taves and holding him back yeah keep him off the PK as well yeah so yeah and the second part of the question is this team lacks size do you see them making room for Martinson in the lineup or shipping him out I say they keep him. I like what I saw from Martin said for a fourth line guy. I'm fine with him. What you, what you say guys. Yeah. I mean, 
realistically, if you you'd be kind of crazy to say there's there's no room for him in this lineup. I mean, come on. Yeah, he, <laughs> he played well. He, he played with his heart on his sleeve. Absolutely, it's not like you have much to lose at this point. This has been a pretty. Uh, the outlook is dismal if you're if you go off this uh, this ring cast. So yeah, put him in the lineup. Let him uh, let him throw his weight around a little bit. I have no problem with Martinson as as a 68 minute a night guy and and you know makes the other team have to keep their head in a swivel and um, you know if you need if you need to send a message he can do it. I have no problem with that. He I am not sure he's a guy that is going to be able to make a difference for you in the playoffs because I don't think he has the skill level to be you know, a, a, a fairly big minutes player in the playoffs. Who knows? Maybe he'll surprise us. Um, you know, potentially John Hayden might be that kind of guy for the Hawks, but I think they could use a couple more of those kinds of guys who can play. Ty, you got yeah. anything? I, I, I agree with both of those guys, John and Jake. I think that Martinson's a guy that you need more of, but at the same time, like a guy that we're expecting to play six to eight minutes shouldn't really be our focus. I think I, I, he'd be fine on the fourth line, but like we need top nine guys. So like until we find those spots, then I'll worry about a fourth liner who, you know, plays six to eight minutes and hits people. So I, I want more of those guys necessarily. And I'm not sure Martinson is, is the top nine quality player. So it like 27 years old. No, I don't think he is. Quit worrying about Martins and Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> don't listen to him, Jackie. Boom. Nailed it. <laughs> All right. I think that wraps everything up for us. You guys. Uh... I, I, I'm old. I got to get to bed. All right. Let me wrap this stuff up. So you guys, you guys can find all of our wonderful content on www.thedashrink.com. Uh, you can find all of our wonderful content also on the popular social medias at the rink official on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, you can find the, the Rinkcast account at the Rinkcast. You can find me at Puck and Hostel. You can find John at Jekyll, J A E C K E L. You got uh, Jake is at J under, un, it's underscore underscore Marty, right? Yeah, I think that's it. Sounds about right. And that's Tyler right. is Coach Majewski, just how it sounds. Uh, if you get a chance, please head over to iTunes, rate and review us. We like to see the, uh, reviews. I will read them on the air. I didn't see any new ones lately, so we don't even need to read. Um, we've already plugged our guests. Uh, don't forget Mario Tarabasi. It's Mario underscore Tarabasi. Uh, we wanted to have Aaron Goldschmidt on. He's late in the Goldie at late in the Goldie. Uh, he's our NCAA guy, but uh, he couldn't make it tonight. Um, anyone got anything else? Yeah, I got I got a couple things. Cool. cool. Um, <laughs> no, I just wanted to say uh, publicly, what you guys are doing, John and Jeff, is awesome. I think uh, I, I don't know if you guys, because it's typically just the two of you on here, you haven't had anybody come on here and just give you guys the credit that you deserve because this has been a big project. Uh, it's been a, a, a long one, and I know that you guys put in hours behind the scenes on top of working full-time gigs. Um, I've been in behind the scenes a lot more than I, I probably will be moving forward now that my schedule is, has worked out a little bit better. But as far as just everything that you set out to accomplish in, in terms of a brand, uh, this has come so much further than I originally thought it would. Uh, and just uh, ethically and professionally, I love everything that, that you guys have done with this more so than I liked uh, what John was doing at hockey buzz and what you were doing with puck and hostel uh, and what everybody else was doing before this. I think the, this, culmination uh, is awesome you guys uh, you don't get enough credit for it so i'm glad i'm a part of it thanks man hey, i appreciate hey, that um i think we need to have him on some more 
<laughs> Thank you. That those are very kind words. Yeah, thanks, and, uh, man. We appreciate that, uh, and we're glad to have you as part I of the team. Get one plug. Go ahead. No, I just want to say we're glad to have him as part of the team. Go ahead. Absolutely. I want to get one plug in. Go. Hey, everybody. I, I realize it's not hockey season anymore, but uh, uh, style hockey style never goes out of season. So get on over to puckhockey.com, P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y, and check out the Rink merchandise line. It is amazing. It is cool. Um, and uh, you will be the envy of all your friends and even your enemies if you go ahead and purchase some of that gear. So do it. Buy it now. Yeah, good call. Yeah, and we all own it. It's not like we're getting freebies here. We all own the stuff. So, yeah. Even, uh, even Aaron Goldschmidt looks halfway decent. <laughs> well, and that's hard. That takes a lot. So Matt Marini deserves an award for that because uh, I took a look at Aaron Goldschmidt. <laughs> I don't want to pile on Aaron too much. Hey, something burning? Oh, wait, it's you because you just got burned. All right. So that be right. uh, and Tyler too. You're you're. Uh, I don't want to leave Tyler out here. I know Jay kind of threw us off a little bit with that, but uh, Tyler's a great addition to the team. He's been amazing. With all with, with adding in with the recaps and, and articles and everything, uh, you know, on top of his, uh, you know, full time gigs and stuff as well. So, don't don't leave Tyler out. Yeah, Jake, don't leave me out too, man. <laughs> okay. But uh, Tyler, okay. All right. Well, I guess uh, John said it all, and everyone else has said it all. So, uh, with that being said. Thanks to everyone for taking time out of your busy schedules to download, listen, and support us. Until next episode, see you at the rink.